Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host, Kiara, and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with Sup Media Reviews. What's up, Home Slices? Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Sup Media Reviews. I'm your host, Kiara, and I'm excited to review the 1997 to 2001 hit cartoon series, Recess, featuring our favorite elementary school friend group. As a child, I watched Theodore T.J. Detweiler, Gretchen Grundler, Mikey Bloomberg, Vince LaSalle, Spinelli, and Gus Griswold on one Saturday morning as they navigated school and the playground at Third Street School in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm really excited to review this show. Now, before we get into the fun facts for Recess, I have to plug some of the upcoming reviews that I'm really excited about. On January 30th, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of You Got Served, the dance battle movie featuring B2K, my favorite R&B group of my tween and early teen years. A special guest will be joining me to discuss the film, and I'm literally so excited. Now, once we get into February, which of course is Black History Month, we're going to be focusing on Black classics from four different genres, historical drama, romance, horror, and comedy. In March, Women's Histories Month, we're going to focus on women-led media. I don't want to spoil the surprise just yet, but make sure you are subscribed, that you are following us, and that you're hitting notification bells wherever they're located so that you know when these episodes are released. Now, because we're gearing up to give you some super fun new content in this new year, there will be no new episode of Sup Media Reviews on January 23rd, 2024. We'll catch you back on January 30th. Now, here are a few fun facts about Recess. Although the series ended in episode 127, there were four movies that continued with the history of the series. Recess Schools Out and Recess Christmas Miracle on Third Street both came out in 2001. Then Recess Taking the Fifth Grade and Recess All Grow Down came out in 2003. The last movie, All Grow Down, was the true end of the series. I've actually only ever seen Recess Schools Out, so... I actually don't know how the series ended up. That's interesting. The second fun fact is that the Ashleys, who were characters in the show, kind of prissy, rich girls, were inspired by the Heathers of the cult movie Heathers that came out in 1988. Really is a cult classic. I've actually never seen it, but I kind of understand the basis of the film a little bit. So that makes sense to me. The final fun fact is that Spinelli and Mikey were designed to be counterparts of each 
each other in many ways. While Mikey is a kind-hearted, sweet, gentle, peaceful, tall, poetic kid, Spinelli is a tough, aggressive, angry, tomboy, short, and somewhat rebellious child. Mikey is interested in poetry, singing, art, philosophy, and in the arts and culture, while Spinelli is interested in wrestling sports and more physical activities. Now, while Mikey's interests are more spiritual, Spinelli's interests are more physical and boyish, actually. In addition, Mikey's interests are considered more suitable for women, while Spinelli's interests are considered more suitable for men. Now, while Mikey is sensitive and tolerant and forgiving, Spinelli is rude, less tolerant, and less forgiving. And in this way, I think Recess is one of the first series that I can really think of that plays with the concept of gender roles and what it means to be a girl or a boy and like things that are non traditional or non-gender conforming when it comes to the way society views certain activities and who can like them. So that's something that I really kind of like and I don't know if I really understood or grasped as a kid but I think that's pretty cool. If you want to check out Recess you can watch the first three seasons on Disney Plus as of the recording of this episode. I cannot find seasons four through six anywhere so this is going to impact the kind of episodes that I'm able to review today and that's totally okay. Now this is the point in the show where we talk a little bit about my personal connection. When it comes to Recess, I remember this cartoon really fondly from my childhood. I remember it most from watching ABC's One Saturday Morning, which was a Saturday morning cartoon block that ran from September 1997 through September 2002. It featured cartoons like Recess, Doug, Pepper Ann, The Weekenders, The New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, among others. Anybody else really like Pepper Ann? I can't remember most of it, but I do know a lot of the theme song. Pepper Ann, Pepper Ann, was too cold for a second. Is it seventh grade? She was in middle school, I think. No one's cooler than Pepper Ann. <laughs> and Doug, of course, do 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 Love Doug. The Weekenders. I feel like the show didn't last for very long, but I do remember a black man's voice singing the theme song. Oh, on the weekend, I'm following it. <laughs> okay, look, does anybody else remember One Saturday Morning? I feel like I don't talk to people about it very often. And there are moments where I low-key feel like a little bit crazy for remembering things that other people don't remember. Let me know if you remember One Saturday Morning. I know I'm not the only person who remembers this. Like, it existed. One Saturday Morning also featured some Disney Channel show reruns like Lizzie McGuire, Even Stevens, and The Proud Family for those of us who couldn't afford cable at the time. So if you didn't have cable, you could wait till Saturday and catch a few of those Disney Channel shows. We literally probably watched this segment every Saturday for years. And for whatever reason, Recess sticks out to me the most among all of the shows that were on that segment. I was between the ages of seven and 11 when Recess was on, and I really identified with the characters as I was about the same age as they were. Speaking of identifying with the characters, there were a number of the ensemble cast that I really liked and remember their qualities. I enjoyed TJ's cool nature and 
this kind of laid back leadership style. Spinelli had a lot of spunk. Mikey had this unabashed love for the arts. Gretchen was super smart. And Gus overall was kind of like an underdog, which, you know, who doesn't love an underdog? Now, interestingly enough, the token black friend, Vince, was the character that I felt like I had the least in common with. I feel that they played up this stereotype of like the young black athlete and it made Vince pretty one dimensional. And as a person who wasn't very athletic, I really couldn't identify with Vince. And that's low key really crazy. And one of the things that I actually don't care for in this show that they didn't round out Vince's character a little more. I feel like he deserved better. And as a black child, I deserved better. But of course, I didn't have the language to say this kind of stuff when back when I was a child, but I really understand it now. In contrast, one of the teachers that is featured quite frequently in Recess is named Miss Grokey. She appeared to be this kind of liberated black woman who wore a long dress and she didn't shave her legs. Her legs were like purposely prickly and she wore flip-flops. She came across as a little hippie-ish a little bit, but based on how her character was drawn, she appeared to be a black lady and she could arguably be labeled as the first and animated social justice warrior. We'll talk a little bit about her later when I get into my review. But what's funny about her is despite the fact that she is very socially aware and super into social justice and really advocates for the children, she is voiced by a white lady. So WTF recess. Like... It's like they take one step forward and then two steps back. But anyways, finally, I love how the school and playground was like its own little micro society with its own laws, both written and unwritten, social norms, and even class systems. We had the Ashleys who were socialites and the kindergartners who were wild and kind of primitive, the teachers who were authoritarians. We had King Bob, who was like the ruler of the playground, who had to uphold these kind of social norms. We had Randall, the snitch and teacher's pet and many more characters. In this way, this could kind of be seen as like a predecessor to the scene in Mean Girls and other shows and movies that discuss schools as like a micro society with its own rules. I love seeing how all of the characters interacted to resolve conflicts and come out on top. I even watched one of the movies of Recess. I remember watching Schools Out. And the most vivid part of that movie for me, I don't even remember the plot really well, but in the movie, they sing John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. His name is my name too. Whenever I go out, the people always shout, here goes John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. That is what I remember the most. I feel like that may be the first time I've ever heard that song, but it is stuck in my head. (laughs) I remember enjoying the movie, but again, as an adult, I can hardly remember what happened in it. But overall, I enjoyed the Recess franchise quite a bit as a child. And prior to watching the episodes for this review, I probably hadn't watched an episode in like 20 years. So I'm really excited to dive into Recess. First, I'm going to do a quick overview of the show and the main characters, and then I'll do a deep dive into three of the most iconic or memorable episodes. Because these episodes are only 11 minutes and I can only find seasons one through three, I'm going to go into some of the more memorable episodes, one from each season. 
Recess is a show about the school lives of a group of fourth graders who eventually go to fifth grade who attend the Third Street School in Little Rock, Arkansas. The main characters are an ensemble cast of six kids with very different personalities. We have Theodore Jasper T.J. Detweiler, who is voiced by Ross Mallinger and Andrew Lawrence. He's the leader of the group and takes having fun quite seriously while he also really cares about others. He has a strong sense of honor and is well liked among his peers. He often acts as the kind of uh, moral compass of the group. Except for Gus, TJ has been friends with all the other characters since kindergarten, so his long history with the crew and exceptional moral compass makes him quite the leader. Whenever there's a problem, TJ is typically the man with a plan. Next up, we have Vince LaSalle, who was voiced by Ricky Deshaun Collins. He's the token Black friend in the group whose main personality trait is his competitive nature, sometimes inflated ego, and athleticism. I wish I could offer more about who this character is, but this is literally almost the entirety of the character. <laughs> he wears a jersey. <laughs> like, <laughs> I will say that he seems to be TJ's best friend in the friend group. But as I mentioned earlier, he's pretty one dimensional and deserved better and deserved more. Okay. I will say that he cares a lot about his friends and he uses his athleticism to help carry out TJ's plans where needed. Next up, we have Ashley Spinelli, who is voiced by by Pamela Adlon and she is the tomboy of the group. She's short and short-tempered, rebellious, and quite aggressive, even with some members of the friend group. Occasionally, we get to see a softer side of her, including her willingness to help kids in need on the playground. Like I mentioned earlier during the fun facts, she's into things that would typically be considered boyish, so her character kind of plays with gender a little bit. So there are also hints that she has a crush on TJ, and she's often the muscle when carrying out one of TJ's plans. Next up, we have Gretchen Grendler, who is voiced by Ashley Johnson. She is the smarty pants of the group and is basically a nerd. She has encyclopedic knowledge of tons of things. One of the things I actually remember learning from Gretchen is that cheese is made with germs. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. That's one of the things that I literally remember from this show from when I was a kid. And often she is the brains behind TJ's plans and sometimes may provide some technical support as well. She often uses a handheld computer called Galileo to look stuff up. She was low-key ahead of her time. I don't know how many people knew we would have pocket computers that we could use to look up things at the drop of a dime. But she had one way back in the day in the late 90s. And she's a little naive and gullible and usually prefers the company of Spinelli. And there are some hints that she has a crush on Vince. Next up, we have Mikey Bloomberg, who is voiced by Jason Davis when he's speaking and Robert Goulet when he's singing. He's a tall, chunky, artsy kid with a sensitive side. And while Mikey is a large kid, he really is a gentle giant whose great baritone singing voice and penchant for poetry make him basically a theater kid, <laughs> but not in an annoying glee way. <laughs> There's something about him that's very endearing, despite his his size and being larger than a lot of the other kids. Mikey is even more naive than Gretchen and sometimes uses his size to aid in carrying out TJ's plans. And finally, we have Gus Griswold, who is voiced by Ryan O'Donohue and Cortland Mead. He's a small army brat who is essentially new to the school when the series starts. A lot of what we learn about how Third Street School works is through us learning the ropes with Gus. He's naive, but he has a few weird quirks like being undefeated at 
dodgeball and letting power go to his head. I could low-key see him growing up to be a sociopath. Like <laughs> something about Gus is like a little bit off, okay? In fact, I can't put my finger on how he helps the group carry out their plans. He actually is like a little bit of a wild card. He's like clumsy and a little bit nerdy and quite naive, but something about him is... I don't know. Like I said, he's a wild card. It's a little hard to explain. But in addition to the six main characters, there are some other characters that show up quite frequently on the playground. We have the Ashleys, King Bob, Randall Weems, the Snitch, Hustler Kid, Guru Kid, Upside Down Girl, the Diggers, and the Kindergartners, among others. We also have two of our kind of main villains. We have Miss Muriel Finster, who is a mean older lady and administrative assistant slash teacher. She's a lot like Mitch Trunchbull from Matilda in that she doesn't really think that kids should enjoy school or have fun. She's sometimes the anti-hero, but overall, the kids often face off with her and her stern old school methods of childhood development. She does have a sweeter side and appears to know where to draw the line when people go too far with, you know, punishing the kids. She's also the best friend or childhood best friend to the other villain slash anti-hero, Prince Peter Prickley. He's a stern, mustachioed man who has a particularly antagonistic relationship with TJ. But overall, he really cares about the students and is a former student of Third Street School himself. Now, the main conflict of this show is really about how these kids navigate the small society that is school and particularly the playground. It's one of the first places where, you know, as kids that we get to develop our basic communication and life skills. It's about learning how to play well with others and working together to solve problems and learning to operate within societal norms. And most of all, just enjoying yourself despite the man, which in this case is usually adults always trying to keep you down. This show displays relationship dynamics between friends and out groups as well. So that's enough exposition. Let's talk about an episode. Now, the first 11 minute episode we'll discuss is season one, episode seven, entitled First Name Ashley. If you want to watch this episode on Disney Plus, you'll need to check out season one, episode four, because the numbering is a little bit different. It goes according to the 11 minute episodes and not the full 30 minute show. I actually remember this episode from my childhood, so I was excited to watch it with adult eyes. Now, the first thing I noticed in the opening sequence of this episode is that it features every character in a cute scene interacting with each other. Each character is doing something related to their personality traits. Gus is clumsy, Vince kicks a ball far, TJ is gambling, Randall is taking notes like a snitch, Spinelli is about to kick Randall's butt, Gretchen is mixing chemicals with test tubes, and Mikey is eating a giant sample. The other kids on the playground as well are doing things that are, you know, related to their personality traits in the show too. And so while the credits are rolling and we get to see all of the characters, we also hear the opening sequence music or like the theme song. And I was surprised at how quickly it came back to me. There's no words, there's no singing, but I was able to kind of hum the tune to myself. And I was like, oh, I actually really do remember this. It's crazy how the memory works. Okay. But when the episode starts, we see Randall using a tape recorder to do observations on students for Miss Finster. I don't know why this was so funny to me, but a snitch using a tape recorder, like a little spy or like a little news reporter that's going on 
undercover is freaking hilarious. The other kids like the Diggers and the Ashleys are super aware of when Randall is nearby and they always stop their conversations when he's around because they know he's a snitch. Like no one wants to be around him and have information that they say get back to Miss Finster. So when Randall comes across the main characters in the show, I will probably refer to them as like the crew or TJ and the crew, just to make things more simple. I mean, he tries to record a conversation that is led by Spinelli, but when she discovers that he's listening, she destroys his tape recorder and she kind of roughs him up a little bit. And then she calls him a monkey booger, which is hilarious. (laughs) But then Randall gets paged on a beeper from Miss Finster so that he can give her the info that he collected. Why does Randall have a beeper? (laughs) So look, I am old enough to remember the adults in my life having beepers. But by the time I got to middle school, cell phones became more popularized. So I myself have never had a beeper and I barely know how they work. (laughs) So if you are watching this with young children, You may have to explain to them what beepers are. That's freaking hilarious, y'all. But yeah, he gets a page from Miss Finster and he goes over to her to tell her the kind of information that he's collected. And when his info isn't good enough for Miss Finster, she kind of gaslights the mess out of Randall. She's like, oh, you may need to think about retirement and I, I should replace you with this other kid. And Randall is basically begging like, no, no, like, please don't replace me. I'll get you something good. And because this kind of snitch gig is all that Randall has and because he's a snitch he doesn't really have friends miss finster really is kind of (laughs) the only person he has in his corner at school so of course he begs for another chance and vows to give her the good tea the next time they interact so she manipulated the crap out this kid that's was kind of hard to watch (laughs) i was like dang she Y'all, she manipulated that kid so hard. But next up, we see Randall head to the room that has all the permanent records in it. And he comes across Spinelli's file. And the dirt that he finds on her is so good, he doesn't even want to give it to Miss Finster. He wants to use it to rule the playground, as he says. So at recess, Spinelli is up in line to play tetherball. And do y'all remember tetherball? Tetherball is very fun. (laughs) She's up in line to play tetherball at recess and Randall like skips her in line. And when she gets ready to like, you know, rough him up a little bit, he's like, you probably don't want to do that because I have some information on you. Okay, don't threaten me with violence because I'll reveal your little secret. And so she realizes that he knows her first name and she kind of immediately changes her tune and he starts to blackmail her. And so she basically agrees to do his homework for the rest of the year. But when he reveals that he has a list of 27 other blackmail items, she jumps on him and starts beating him up. And when the other kids gather around, he calls her Ashley Spinelli and shows her permanent record to all the kids on the playground so that it is indisputable that her name is Ashley. They all kind of laugh at her. And I think it's mostly because Ashley just doesn't fit her personality. So later she talks to her friends about it at recess and they try to reassure her that it's just a name and that she shouldn't trip. 
Apparently, Spinelli was named after her great aunt Ashley, who was the first woman to win the Iditarod, which is like low-key badass. Like, <laughs> that's actually pretty cool. She's most upset that the name Ashley is associated with the other Ashleys who are on the playground, which is a group of, it's either four or five very prissy, rich girls that play dollies and wear makeup. And it's very antithetical to what Spinelli likes to do and what she stands for. And so the crew reassures her that the Ashleys would never have her. Like the Ashleys don't want you in their group. Look at you, <laughs> basically. And Spinelli is kind of, you know, comforted by that. But the Ashleys, four of them are having a conversation over tea on another part of the playground about how Spinelli has basically disgraced the Ashley name. And Ashley A, the leader, decides that they had to take her in and reform her so that she becomes one of them. Because if they let Spinelli stay the way she is, they will be surpassed in popularity and will eventually have to date guys named Paul or Joe. And I was like, WTF, how does how is that related? <laughs> What's wrong with dating someone named Paul or Joe? I'm curious as to what the first names of guys that they want to date are. Kyle? I don't I don't know. I felt like we're this train of thought has derailed and destroyed the town. Like, <laughs> what are they talking about? But the Ashleys head over and invite Ashley S, which is apparently Spinelli's new name, to their group, citing a rule in the constitution of the playground that states if an Ashley invites another Ashley to join their clique, they basically don't have a choice but to join them. So this is where some of those kind of written rules of the playground come into play, which is really interesting that they basically have their own kind of governing documents. It's kind of cute. So Spinelli kind of tries to run away from this, but they literally have to take her kicking and screaming. And so she follows the Ashleys to their clubhouse. And on the outside, it looks like a pile of rubber tires. But once they get inside, it is a large, well-decorated clubhouse with pink curtains and drapes and nice furniture. It actually like low-key, I would hang out in there, okay? Next, they make Spinelli over. They do her hair a little bit differently. They change her clothes and they present her to the rest of the playground. I think she looks cute. She's wearing something that looks very much like what the main character in Clueless would wear. It might be the exact outfit now that I'm thinking about it. The yellow one with like the white hat. It's very cute. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's cute. She looks like she's straight out of that, that fancy video. I'm so fancy. <laughs> you already know. <laughs> but anyways, when Randall makes fun of her for being in a dress, she tries to attack him, but the Ashleys take her away and they do this little montage of them trying to reform her boyish ways. Okay. They paint her nails. They replace a football with a doll. They make her watch My Little Pony. They make her serve them drinks. And now that I'm thinking about it, this feels very much like hazing and a sorority a little bit. I didn't think about that until now. That's low-key a little crazy. But TJ and the rest of the crew see Spinelli being made miserable and they hatch a plan to try to break her out of that Ashley crew or their clique. So according to the constitution, a person can only be expelled from a clique if all the other members vote them out unanimously. So they start putting a little plan in action. They enlist the help of a bunch of other kids. And we also see Hustle Kid who wears a trench coat and like sells what might be considered bootleg items out of his out of his trench coat which is low-key funny. <laughs> he has um like IDs, right? 
so he can make like kind of fake IDs. So they use his services and in the clubhouse, Spinelli breaks down and asks to be kicked out of the group and the Ashleys basically say no. And in a matter of time, she'll learn to be just like them according to their plan. But then suddenly Gretchen goes into the clubhouse saying that she wants to be a part of the clique because her name is now Ashley and she presents some of her fake IDs. And the Ashleys are like, no, you have to be invited. And Spinelli is like, hey girl, you invited. (laughs) And then all the kids in the main friend group also show up claiming to be Ashley's, claiming to be named Ashley's with their little fake IDs. And when Ashley A says that like, some of y'all aren't even girls, Gus says, hey, it's the 90s, which is freaking hilarious. That was so funny to me. Some of these jokes are like, a little bit, (laughs) a little bit adult. Like I never would have got that. It would have flown over my head as a child. And then a bunch of other kids from the playground, basically the whole playground comes into the clubhouse and they start tearing it up. And they're all claiming that they're Ashley's and Spinelli is like inviting them into the group one by one. And when the Ashley's are like, y'all are tearing stuff up, like what's going on in here? TJ is like, we'll all leave when you vote Spinelli out. And so basically they break her out of there. The Ashley's vote Spinelli out as well as all of the other fake Ashley's. And Spinelli, you know, breaks free and sees the value of her friends having her back. But then she chases Randall to presumably beat him up because he got her into all this trouble by revealing her secret. So that's the end of that episode. It really shows how the main kids have each other's backs and how they can enlist the help of the other kids on the playground to get their friends out of sticky situations. We get to interact with Randall and his snitching ways. And this episode is really about them working together, supporting each other, even in these kind of embarrassing moments. And while I do not condone Spinelli's violent nature, Randall deserves it. (laughs) Randall, he's a weasel, okay? Like I said, I literally remember this episode from my childhood. I almost remember the entire episode. It's pretty funny. And for me, this episode sticks out in my mind the absolute most, uh, which is interesting because it is one of the very first episodes of this show. So I think that that's pretty notable. Now, I don't know if you all are familiar with Smosh or the Smosh YouTube channels, but there is a main cast member of Smosh and her name is Angela Giarratana. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but everything about her energy and even her voice reminds me of Spinelli. Thanks so much. She totally reminds me of Spinelli, but leave a comment if you know what I'm talking about. Now, the next 11 minute episode we're going to talk about is season two, episode 20, entitled The Story of Womps. If you want to watch it on Disney Plus, you'll need to watch season two, episode 11. Now, while I didn't remember this episode off the top of my head, the subject matter in the description seemed really funny, and I thought it'd be a great episode to cover. Now, the episode opens up with the main friend group talking smack against the fifth graders as they prepare to play a contentious game of baseball against each other. In the midst of talking trash, TJ tells Law Lawson, a fifth grade rival, that his team womps. Now Lawson takes offense, but his friends de-escalate the situation, claiming that TJ actually made up the word in the second grade to avoid swearing. We even get a little flashback of Vince and TJ in the second grade making up a short and meaningless word that could take the place of a swear word. So that is the birth of the word womps. 
Now, when we get back from the flashback, recess is over and TJ says this wamps, which prompts Miss Finster, who is right behind him, to send TJ to the principal's office for using bad language. Now, Principal Prickly gives TJ detention level five, whatever that means, <laughs> but then he pushes it up to level six when TJ says the word wamps again in the principal's office. Now, interestingly enough, the principal says that he can't keep up with the modern gutter slang that the kids use and that Miss Fencer assured him that the word was filthy. It's interesting how a word that means nothing got him into so much trouble. But in reality, the word does mean something, but does it have to be dirty? I'm curious what you all think about how words can be used to mean different things and can be switched around or in the right context can be dirty. Can you replace a curse word with any other word and have the emphasis be the same? I wonder what you all think about that. But anyways, in the next scene, the crew is waiting until 4 p.m. when TJ gets released from detention. We hear the principal say that he has alerted all the faculty at the school that the word has been officially banned. And so his friends treat him like he was released from prison, even though it's like 4 p.m. on a school day. <laughs> But TJ is especially pissed off because the adults took the word that he made up from him and made it dirty. So <laughs> it's really interesting that he uses it in place of a swear word, but doesn't consider it to be dirty because he made it up. I just feel like if the meaning is the same, it could be seen as a swear word. However, it's meaningless because it only has that meaning to like TJ and his friends. I feel like the adults at the school took it too far, but I do think that there is some credence to the context in which the word being used kind of defines what the word means. But anyway, let's just get off my soapbox. But <laughs> his little wheels start turning and he has a plan because he really just does not like how far the adults have taken it. So at school the next day, the friend group starts using the word WAP in a number of ways, along with a bunch of other kids in the school, and all of them end up getting sent to the principal's office, making the principal's day extra busy and pissing him off. Basically, the whole school is in his office getting told off and getting punishments for using this word. So to expedite things he asked them to sign a sheet and leave his office and someone signs it Wompy Womperson. That was very funny to me. <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny. <laughs> I think I really like this antagonistic nature. Even though TJ is kind of seen to be the leader, he has this vengeful nature to him a little bit that's really antagonistic, particularly to the principal. And I really enjoy that type of tension between the two of them. It's just, something about it is pretty funny to me. So this whole situation kind of angers Principal Prickly and he's desperate to get the students back in line and to stop using this dirty word. So he uses this secret red phone to call the Board of Education, stating that one of his bad apples has spoiled the whole bunch. Of course, he's talking about TJ and he's really nervous on the phone. There's a voice on the other end that comes across as very stern and like it's supposed to be like a secret spy organization almost the way that it's coming across. 
But the voice on the other end says that they are sending Mr. White, who is nicknamed the cleaner. This is a cute little scene that I actually enjoyed. But next up, we see a helicopter and a bunch of cars and troops showing up from the Board of Education. They are basically reinforcements to kind of nip the situation in the bud. So Mr. White gets out of the helicopter and demands tea and cookies. I don't know if he's supposed to be James Bond or who he's supposed to be. This kind of comparison is a little bit lost on me even as an adult. But TJ talks to Mr. White and after hearing the origins of the word, Mr. White tells TJ, you have nothing to worry about. I understand this, right? And when TJ leaves, Mr. White basically changes his tone stating that Womp is the new Dang. And apparently Dang is now a full-blown curse word. So he wants to stop Womp from getting to the level of Dang. And so he basically says, the way we nip this in the bud is we need to make an example out of TJ. And right as TJ is declaring to the rest of the kids at school that WAMP is no longer banned, a helicopter announcer, like a helicopter shows up and someone announces from the helicopter that basically TJ is low-key under arrest. <laughs> And so next up, we see what looks like a courthouse with kids protesting outside of it to release TJ. And so apparently this whole situation gets escalated where there is some type of trial at the Board of Education or whatever. And so Mr. White is basically like a prosecutor and he is making his case against TJ in front of the superintendent. And he's being pretty vague. He talks about the word without actually saying it. And he's like, this is a vile and disgusting word that this kid made up. And we can't let this kind of word be pervasive throughout, you know, the schools. We can't let this type of language, you know, happen in a place of learning or whatever. And so right as TJ is about to be sentenced by the superintendent who is acting as the judge in this situation, Miss Grokey, the black social justice word teacher, brings in her old professor who has a PhD in slangology. His name is Andrew Dice something. I can't think of his last name, but it, I think that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> but <laughs> she brings him in to testify on TJ's behalf. The slangologist is speaking gibberish. I can hardly understand what he's talking about because the cadence of his voice and the words that he's saying are almost meaningless. Like maybe you can make it out a little bit, but because of what he's saying and he gets into like an, a verbal and then a physical altercation with Mr. White. And so TJ basically asks to speak up for himself and he talks about how making up words is a kid thing. Okay. And when TJ says like, Hey, this whole thing womps. Mr. White jumps in to say, I tried to keep that word out of this courtroom, but he just brought it in here. And when the superintendent learned that the word in question is womps, he laughs and he's like, people in the room, like other adults that are in the room, what do you hear when you hear the word womps? And so maybe like four or five adults in the room say different things that they think the word means, but none of them find that the word is dirty. Um, they all get pretty positive answers. And so the superintendent says that if you think the word womps is dirty, then you probably got a dirty mind to begin with. And so he declares TJ not guilty and the courtroom rejoices and TJ is required to go to school the next day which Spinelli calls a hollow victory. <laughs> Just a little key funny. And at the end of the episode, Principal Prickly is upset and he says, this womps. And so, yeah, that's the end of the episode, y'all. So I chose this episode because children cursing is hilarious. <laughs> 
It just is, okay? But let's just examine what it means to use euphemisms and how adults can take things too seriously sometimes and how they don't always allow children's imaginations to flow and flourish. And like drawing the line between where children's imaginations and creativity can go versus how limiting adults can be or, you know, how much guidance they should offer to children in these situations. Like the adults just took it way too far in this situation. TJ literally went to court, y'all. Jesus. <laughs> just It doesn't make sense. I also think that the kids rallying behind TJ and showing support for him when he's on trial shows how much of a leader he is and how he's mostly universally liked by his peers. It's a cute little episode and it is as close to the penal system as we are going to get, okay? So yeah, I thought it was a cute little episode. Now, in the final 11-minute episode I'll review, we have season three, episode 14, entitled Buried Treasure. Now, to watch this episode on Disney+, Plus, you'll have to look at the second half of season three, episode 12. I actually remember this episode from my childhood as well, but not as many details as the Ashley Spinelli episode. So let's get into it. The episode opens with the kids in Miss Grokey's class. And her opening line, this is literally the first line of the episode. Now remember class, please take this new history book with a grain of salt focuses primarily on the history of white Western males. Y'all, when I tell you I had to pause and laugh, that was so funny to me. As a black lady who grew up in schools in America, I will say that history books <laughs> often focus on that type of history from that point of view. And to hear a teacher in this episode would have came out in 2000, maybe to hear a teacher say that to her students is freaking hilarious to me and is so on point. And I'm like, this lady is a social justice warrior. Now, the, the teacher, again, in this show appears to be Black and is voiced by a white lady, but I am low-key, like, down for her rejection of revisionist history, okay? As she's handing out these new textbooks, she runs out of them when she gets to TJ. So she decides to give him an old version of the history book. And that book is so old that it says that man will never walk on the moon. <laughs> so this book is from before 1969. But this, for whatever reason, this reminded me, TJ getting this old book reminded me of when Harry Potter got Snape's old potions book. <laughs> totally unrelated, but that's just what came to my mind. But when Miss Grokey starts teaching her lesson, she says, now let's read about how the barbaric Europeans stole this country from the Native Americans. <laughs> y'all, when I tell y'all I'm so here, for Miss Grokey's teaching style, it is hilarious to me, okay? I really don't remember her very much from my childhood, but she's literally my new favorite character from this show, okay? She stood up for TJ in the previous episode that we reviewed, and she's over here giving kids the correct American history. It's just so funny. I really like her, okay? And especially her advocacy for the kids. As TJ is perusing this 
new slash old textbook, he finds what appears to be a rhyming treasure hunt riddle. It reads, follow these clues and take good measure, then you will find the third treasure. So when recess is in session later in the day, he shares what he found with his friends and tries to swear them to secrecy. They're a little too excited to actually swear and they're really talking too loud, but he finally reveals to them the treasure map or whatever it is he found and they start making guesses and getting really excited about what the treasure could be. Gretchen reads the first rhyming clue and it reminds me a little bit of Jumanji, how like those little riddles would pop up on Jumanji's board. But the first clue leads them to the jungle gym, Old Rusty. Again, Old Rusty is what they call the jungle gym on the playground. Their next stop is the site of an old garden where the kindergartners are napping on the concrete. And the kindergartners, if you remember, are basically little like primitive beings who have finger painting drawings all over their body. They're barely wearing clothes, <laughs> don't really have good language skills, and people generally try to avoid them. So they have to be quiet while the kindergartners are napping to get to this little garden area. And so the clue that they find at the garden area sends them to the sandbox, but then they get chased by the kindergartners who wakes up after Mikey starts yelling. It's cute. But next up, we see Miss Finster report TJ and the crew to the principal. She thinks that they're staging a breakout based on their strange behavior with this book that they found. She's like, they're counting their steps. They have this book. I think they're trying to break out of here. The principal does not want to hear it, but he's slightly intrigued. And later on, we find out why. The kids get to the sandbox and their next clue leads them to a fence that they can't go beyond. Apparently, the treasure is underneath the faculty parking lot that was once a part of the playground. So the kids begin to argue over who has the best idea for getting to the treasure. It's obviously buried under a bunch of concrete or the blacktop in this parking lot. It's going to be really hard for them to access it, right? So... <laughs> This is <laughs> this is when things get a little bit hairy, right? They realize that they need people with digging expertise, namely the digger twins, to dig a tunnel underground to access the treasure. But Vince and Spinelli speak up. And they are reluctant to split the treasure with two additional people. Mind you, this friend group already has six people in it. So whatever treasure they find will be split six ways. Adding in the digger twins makes it eight. So they're like, mm -hmm, I low-key don't want to split the treasure <laughs> with any more people. But they kind of don't have a choice. The only two kids who have the expertise to access the treasure are the digger twins. So they basically have to get involved, okay? And so when the diggers analyze the job, the crew kind of realizes that it would draw too much attention to dig this tunnel in the open. So TJ suggests that they start the tunnel in the Ashley's clubhouse away from prying eyes, meaning that they would probably have to cut the Ashley's in on that too. And mind you, there are, I believe, four Ashley's. So <laughs> the treasure would have to be split by an additional four people, bringing the total up to 12. <laughs> Again, Vince and Spinelli are like, that's too much, but they got to do what they got to do. So the Ashleys agree to the terms. 
But the rest of the crew has to find a way to dispose of all the misplaced dirt. So they all kind of take dirt in their pockets and in briefcases and in backpacks to try to like move it out of the Ashley's clubhouse in a way that is not suspicious. But when Mikey throws some dirt in a hole somewhere, he accidentally gets it on Randall. And when Randall asks him about the dirt, Mikey in like two seconds, basically spills his guts and reveals the entire plan to Randall. He tells him everybody that's involved and all that they are doing to access this church. <laughs> Mikey literally spills his guts so hard. And I'm like, WTF, Mikey, like, why aren't you stronger? Okay. <laughs> But Randall, of course, decides that he wants a piece of the treasure and he decides to act as a lookout, which he does a pretty good job at. But then when he gets pressed by Miss Finster about what TJ and the crew is up to, Randall gets really fidgety about it and she grows even more suspicious. The diggers announce that they are almost to the treasure and Vince and Spinelli are like really dreaming really hard about what they can get with their share of the treasure. So recess ends right before the diggers can actually access the treasure and TJ has to be the level-headed one and get the crew to leave and come back for the treasure the next day. They don't want to get in trouble with Miss Finster. Any trouble that they get into could prevent them from seeing the treasure the next day anyway. So again, TJ is right. He's the level-headed one and it really takes some convincing for Vince and Spinelli to like leave the treasure there. They kind of want to hang behind and skip class but like I said they end up finally getting convinced. Miss Finster becomes even more suspicious when she takes dirt in her coffee cup. <laughs> Some one of them hid dirt in her coffee cup. That is so funny to me. But she goes back to the principal to say, like, I'm becoming even more suspicious. The kids really are up to something. And so he dismisses her. But then he says something weird. He says, it won't be long now. And I'm like, hmm, what is he talking about? Right. And so the kids are back in Miss Grokey's class. And this time she says, remember, class, your essays on how the settlers should have behaved upon their arrival on these shores will be great for both spelling and sensitivity. Y'all, she sounds like a good teacher. <laughs> It's hilarious, okay? Vince and Spinelli both ask for bathroom breaks and they are particularly invested in finding this treasure and they kind of seem to be losing their sense of morality along the way. I'm curious as to why these two, why not any of the other characters be so intent on finding this treasure? I don't know that it had to be these two characters. I'm curious as to why it was these two characters that had to kind of lose themselves in the prospect of finding this treasure, right? But when they are in the hallway alone near the bathroom, Spinelli confronts Vince saying that he never uses the bathroom at school. So it's suspicious that he asked for a bathroom break and that he always waits until he goes home, which is freaking hilarious to me. Okay. It's very funny to me because I know people like this. <laughs> I don't know if it's a people thing, like if it's just like a personality trait of someone who does not want to use public restrooms, or if it's just a black people thing, because I've only ever heard of black people doing this, of like, they will do their best unless it is, is an absolute emergency, never use a public bathroom, and that they will always wait until they get home, or into like the home of someone they trust. It is hilarious to me, okay? 
y'all I've only ever heard of black people doing this I don't know if other people of other races do it but to hear this type of trait be attributed to Vince is freaking hilarious to me I don't know why this is so funny this is so funny to me I actually had a close friend who we're still friends to this day in college we were in genetics class together we were in genetics class together and he basically kind of had the same rule and he had to poop while we were in genetics class so he went to his dorm and did not come back to class because he didn't want to use the restroom inside <laughs> inside the like building where the genetics class was at and that was just so funny to me like I I kind of understand y'all let me know in the comments if that resonates with you I don't know why that's so funny to me but to hear Spinelli say that Vince only uses the bathroom at home is just so funny to me. It's so funny. Anyways, Spinelli accuses Vince of trying to get the treasure for himself. So they kind of devise a plan together to stay behind after school to get the treasure for themselves. So when school is out, they try to sneak away, but they end up getting caught by the rest of the friend group who are mad that Vince and Spinelli would try to get the treasure for themselves. Vince and Spinelli briefly apologize and then they all rush to the treasure hole in the Ashley's clubhouse where they find the Ashley's, the Diggers, and Randall all there doing the same thing. They were all going to basically cheat each other. And so the Diggers bring up the treasure chest and the kids kind of fight over it. And TJ stops them and he's like, look at what this treasure is doing to us. It's tearing us apart. And I wish I never found that treasure map in the book. And the other kids are like, that's all fine and good. But like, We'll take your share <laughs> and they keep fighting over it. And so in the struggle, the box kind of falls open and it is full of old school toys and no real gold or treasure or anything that's probably of any real monetary value. There's a note inside from former students of the school saying that they found the treasure, put some toys in the chest and reburied it to be enjoyed by students in the future. And they basically suggest it's like a little time capsule. They found treasure many years ago and they opened the chest that had the toys in it. They played with them. They put some of their own toys in it and reburied it, created a new treasure hunt for like a different generation of students in the future. And so something about that was just like really sweet. Like I said, it was a little bit of a time capsule. And the kids, as Gretchen is reading the note from these former students, they are starting to realize that the real treasure is friendship, I guess. <laughs> The real treasure is them learning and playing together and growing together and communicating and just being friendly and kind to one another. And it's not about money basically. And it makes them realize that their friendships are like the most important thing. So the kids decide to play with some of these old toys. And then when they're done playing, they want to add some of their own favorite toys to uh, the treasure chest that they can bury for kids in the future. And so one of the old toys is a wind-up car and on the bottom is a kid's name. Back in the day when you had toys you wrote your names on them. <laughs> I, I don't know if people do that today but on the bottom of this wind-up car is a kid's name. Petey P. So Petey is the first name. And then P is the last initial. And no, it's not Petey Pablo. It is actually Pence, Principal Peter Prickley's old toy. We see the principal called someone named the Chief Justice Brenda J. 
Throckmorton to report that it only took 40 years, six months, seven hours, 12 minutes, and 26 seconds for a new generation of kids to find their treasure. He is very proud of how well they hid that treasure. Okay, that's the end of the episode, y'all. I actually really enjoyed this episode more so than the others. Not only do we have social justice warrior Miss Grokey keeping it real with the students on American history, we have some betrayal and life lessons about valuing fun and friendships over fortune. We get to see a few negative traits in the kids, but they eventually see the light and learn the lesson. We also see like a little bit of a different side of Principal Prickly. And we see that, you know, at one point he was a child whose heart was filled with wonder and joy as well. I literally laughed out loud at a number of things in this episode and I am really glad that I chose to review it. It really was hilarious. So that is all folks. You know, at the end of every episode, we ask if the show or movie is worth a rewatch and if it holds up today. For me, it's mostly yes and slightly. What I found when rewatching this show is that it was generally less enjoyable to watch as an adult but if I had children, I would definitely watch it with them. The buried treasure episode was the most enjoyable by far. And if nothing else, I'd suggest you watch that one episode because I was literally laughing out loud at how real Miss Grokey was. That was just very funny to me, okay? So the rewatchability is there somewhat. And I think you probably need like a good excuse to rewatch it, like sharing it with a younger kid in your life. But if recess was something that you hold near and dear to your heart and would love to rewatch, you should absolutely do it. I just don't think that universally people would think of it as something that they would want to rewatch as an adult. I hope I'm making sense when I say that. Now, when it comes to the show holding up, I only say slightly and not a full yes for a few reasons. The first reason is that the idea of recess and playing outside is way different for kids coming up these days. Um, so a lot of the dynamics could be lost on younger children. The show depicts childhood everyday life mostly without screens and I don't know how modern kids would identify with TJ and the crew. The other and most concerning reason on why Recess doesn't hold all the way up for me is the one-dimensional token black kid Vince, okay? I find his character to be a little stereotypical and he comes across as a diversity hire to me, <laughs> so I don't like that. And while there is a black teacher who is again a social justice warrior and is like down for the cause she is voiced by a white lady so I feel like this show is like a little bit problematic but if you watch it with young kids you can have a discussion with them about playing outdoors minimizing screen time socializing and connecting with others problem solving and maybe even racial tokenization <laughs> I don't have kids and I don't know if parents really use media to teach their kids about life but I think recess could be a cool show to have these kind of conversations with your kids Overall, as an adult, it was nice to revisit this show and remember what I liked about it and to find the humor and some of the more mature jokes. But I also am able to kind of criticize it for what it's worth and recognize that it is not perfect. So overall, I enjoy rewatching it. 
So Rotten Tomatoes didn't have a rating for Recess. It doesn't often rate TV series in a way that's comprehensive, but IMDb gave Recess a 7.8 out of 10. Now, as a kid, I probably would have rated it higher, but as an adult and a critical thinker, I think I would probably bring it down to like a 6.8 or 6.9 out of 10 for the poor character development events and using a white lady to voice a black teacher. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Sup Media Reviews, where I reviewed the cartoon series Recess. Did you rewatch the series recently? Does it hold up for you? Please share your thoughts on our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We want to hear from you. As a reminder, we won't be releasing an episode next week. So tune in on January 30th when we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the 2004 dance battle film, You Got Served. You don't want to miss it. Peace out. Thanks for listening to Sub Media Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Sub Media Reviews and on SubMediaReviews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners. So until next time, peace out, home slices. Peace out.